You're listening to a DM podcast. Uh, only other, other times I've been in hospital is for childbirth. So never having a serious event uh, and, and having to really listen to my body before, I simply just missed it all. Absolutely. It, it wasn't something that came to my mind at all. It was still something that I had done to myself. I had um, eaten too much. I'd, I'd eaten too much rich food in Brisbane and, and this was on me. The center and all sections of the child that are in front of the board. breathing okay at the moment. Is it a big puppy? That blood pressure is not coming up. Hi, my name is Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. This is a podcast about life in the bush, mateship, courage, and the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in serving rural and remote communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. My name is Kira Lee Dargan from the Royal Flying Doctor Service and I'm an Aboriginal woman of the Wiradjuri Nation. This podcast has been recorded on Ngunnawal land and is being broadcast across all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We at the Royal Flying Doctor Service want to acknowledge Elders past and present. The RFDS recognises that this is First Peoples land and always will be. I did an interview back in Series 2 of the Flying Doctor podcast, which talked in part about Weepa, a small mining community on the Cape in Queensland. The Royal Flying Doctor Service has long served the mining industry, with most of their major hubs located in very remote parts of the country where there are no hospitals. Weepa is one of those communities, and my guest in this episode is Sarah Ward, who works at Rio Tinto and earlier was based in Weepa. Hello, Sarah. Hello. So you lived in Weeper for quite a while, didn't you? I did. Um, I, I moved to Weeper in 2007, which seems like a lifetime ago now, um, but spent 15 years um, of my working life and, and, my, and my home life living uh, and working in Weeper. Could you describe what that community looks like? Because it's, it's, it's quite unique, very much a tropical setting, but could you describe it for me? Yeah, the community itself is um, is quite small and compact. Um, the, the the housing uh, is is all close by. You can walk from one friend's house to another, kind of uh, in one day. My son really loved riding his bike around uh, and going to friends' houses. I used to describe it to people as kind of um, stepping back to the 1970s where the kids just kind of played um, on the street with their friends um, until dark and then came in and, and had dinner. So um, in terms of um, what, it, what it looked like visually, kind of an, an older um, 1970s style um, houses, um, you know, the, the very basic shops that are available to you. We're really lucky to have a, a full-size Woolworth. So um, that was definitely one of the one of the um, highlights of Weeper. Uh, but, but yeah, just the basics. Everything was there that you needed. And it's on the coast, right? What does the landscape look like? It is. Um, it's set, um, Weeper Township is set between two main rivers. So there's the Emily River and the Mission River, um, quite large rivers. So it's kind of nestled between those two. Um, and, and as you can imagine in the tropics, um, rivers and, and the, the sea kind of come with mangroves. So it's quite mangrovey. If you think what does crocodile country look like, um, Weeper is the epitome of what that is. Um, so mangroves, uh, river systems and, um, and, and beautiful blue. Um, water. 
Would you see crocodiles on a regular basis? Um, yes. So um, when working for the mine, there was a, a mine face that was um, across the Mission River and there's a single lane kilometre long bridge that goes across um, up to up to um, Andu Mine. And often um, it was always a fight to be the passenger uh, on that trip so that you could look out the window and see the crocodiles sunbaking uh, down on the, on the sandbanks below, um, particularly in wintertime. I can't say I ever saw any in town. None were crossing the road or uh, or kind of causing havoc that way, but um, definitely uh, quite a lot um, in and around the mangroves. And, and it wasn't about seeing them. It's just that you knew that they were there. Yeah, so I presume it's a lot like Darwin where you don't go swimming um, really anywhere because Darwin, my brother lives in Darwin and, yeah, you just don't swim. It's simply not safe. My husband, um, we've had various boats over our years in Weeper, but um, at one point when, when my son was about 10, um, he decided to get quite a, a small kind of four-metre tinny uh, thinking that he could just go out for the morning and, and flick some lures around in the river. Um, he came back one day, he'd had it um, probably a couple of months, and he came back one day and said, I think I need to sell the boat. Um, I'm like, why? What's wrong? He said, oh, the crocodiles are, are bigger than than the boat, so it's, I think it's time to, to trade it in. I was like, I think that's a good idea. Okay, yep, that can go. So, yes, they're there. They're there. So you were there in Weeper for 15 years and you're now back in Brisbane. But there was a time um, just a few years ago where you were working in Weeper and you had travelled to Brisbane for work and you weren't feeling well. Would you tell me um, what was happening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's kind of embarrassing to talk about because it is is uh, the thing you think, look, looking back on it, why didn't I realise what was happening? But um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, so yeah, I had to come down to um, to the Brisbane office for a week. Uh, so by myself, my family stayed in Weeper. Um, so came down to work, was really busy time, kind of working from early morning to um, kind of dark and, and into the night. Um, I was meeting up with my sister and her family for dinner um, one night. I think it was the Thursday uh, before my last day at work uh, in the city. And she came in and we were going out for dinner and I just felt really uncomfortable. Like my pants were too tight and um, just felt really bloated and, and just, a, just this pain that was happening, um, you know, kind of un undescript pain. It, it wasn't something that, that I had felt before, but I just thought that I'd eaten too much fancy food, um, too much non-weeper food. I, 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 you know, been definitely having lunches out and getting some nice takeaways while I was here. So um, I just took some Panadol and 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 went through it. Um, but uh, for dinner that night, I just couldn't eat anymore. I was like, okay, I've had a couple of bites. I, I'm a bit too um, tender and and feeling too sick to to kind of have any more. So I kind of made the best of it. Had had a good time with my sister and her family and. Um, and kind of went home to bed that night. Um, that night was probably the worst um, so far. So I had been kind of feeling this kind of come on, but that was the time that I thought, oh, I really just don't feel very well. So um, woke up in the middle of the night that night, really uncomfortable and took some more Panadol. And it was kind of from there that I started to need um, some, some pain relief, either um, Panadol or Nurofen or, or both kind of over the, the course of the next week. 
Wow. Did you think, oh, you know, I must be constipated or I must be like, what was going through your head? Yeah, like I'm, I've just eaten rich food. I've, I've just done too much to myself. I need to exercise. I, I'm just getting um, unfit and unwell. Um, I've, I've overindulged. That's what I was thinking. I just, uh, I thought that I'd done this to myself. Wow. So, okay. So you're self-medicating and you're just sort of soldiering on. Australians are so famous for soldiering on. Um, okay. So, so what happened next? You, did you return to Weeper still in pain? I did, yeah, and it would come and go. It wasn't as if it was constant kind of um, kind of crippling pain. It, it wasn't like that. I, I think obviously with um, with the medication, um, just Panadol and Nurofen, it was kind of just taking the edge off enough, and then I wouldn't think about it, and um, and it'd be okay. So yep, returned back to Weeper um, that weekend, made it through that weekend, and then um, had a whole nother week at work. Uh, before I did anything about it. And, and as you can imagine, so I was in the orange and, and blue, so the, the mining uniform, so to speak. So my pants were getting tighter and tighter and I was just kind of trying to deal with it. Um, I was a leader, I had a team to look after, I had a family to run, um, you know, school continues, nothing kind of stops when you're a busy working mum. So I just kept going um, and I just kept getting through it. Were you thinking at one point, gosh, I'm so bloated. I just don't like why I'm not, I'm barely eating yet. I'm, I seem to be just growing. Probably didn't think that until the Friday um, of that following week. So kind of a, a week and a half, two weeks into kind of pain by then. But by that Friday, it was pretty continuous. Um, I was uncomfortable and, and not feeling great and was really looking forward to the weekend to, to try to have some, some rest time. Um, so by that Friday, um, w which I found out later being a, a, a really um, clear indicator of a burst appendix, when I took my um, work pants off in the afternoon, when I released my belt, um, my pain was was quite substantial, um, which I later learned was is called rebound pain. It's when your whole um, insides are filling up with fluids, and um, and that's when when the pressure is taken off is when the most pain um, can occur. So. Didn't know that at the time, but that's what happened on that Friday afternoon. I'm like, oh, that really does hurt. So I went into rest mode at that point and then tried to take some care of myself and put my husband in charge of the kids and my neighbour brought over dinner and that's kind of where she started uh, being involved in, in my journey of this. How long has this been happening, Sarah? What are you doing here? So that's when I probably started to talk to someone about it. So I don't think I'd even mentioned it to my husband um, at that point. Just too busy. Life just goes on, right? Gosh, us mums, we're terrible. We really <laughs> so are <bad>. terrible. <laughs> so bad. We shouldn't take our own advice at times. You know, exactly. We, we just, we, we, we're very quick to care for everyone we love, but we tend to neglect the obvious signs that something's not right. Exactly. Okay, so your neighbour's bringing you dinner, your husband's looking after the kids, you're really feeling rotten. What happened then? This has now been going on for like 10 days or so, right? Yes, it's been going on right. for a while. Yeah, yeah. And from kind of really minimal, kind of bearable, just something uncomfortable through to kind of that Friday afternoon of uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point of holding my stomach and, and really not feeling very well. Look, uh, living in a remote community, uh, my husband and my children, um, both of my children um, did um, weeper dirt carts. So think go-karting um, on marbles uh, out on a dirt track because that's what Bauxite is, right? So it's it's basically 
weekend full of, of, of dirt karting was in front of me. So um, my husband has a, a cart and, and the two kids' carts to get ready on Saturday morning. So he's straight into getting those ready. Um, by three o'clock, I need to have the kids out there. He's already left to go and prepare the track. And because I'm not really saying, you know, I'm really hurt, everything just goes on as normal, right? So it's like, I'll, I'll make it work. It's fine. So I head out um, with the kids. I've got my jeans on. I've got my boots on. I've got my long sleeve shirt on. And I'm really uncomfortable, obviously, at this point. So I get the kids out there and I don't have too much to do. So I, I'm in the pits kind of getting them dressed and sorted. But once all of that's done, they're kind of ready for their races and, and off they go. I used to, I, I did actually usually do the gate and let the, the, the go-karts in and out. But I wasn't doing that this time. I just couldn't possibly do it. So I sat down in my camping chair and I just kind of stayed there um, for probably a good hour uh, and I remember taking a selfie and sending it to my neighbour and was like, this is what I'm doing at Dirt Cuts. And, and she called me straight away and said, why, why are you there? You're still clearly very unwell. What's happening? And that made me really think. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go home. I don't need to be here. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take some more Panadol and I'm just going to rest on the couch. So I did that, but the kids wanted to come with me. So obviously I took those, them home with me as well. And that's when then my friend came back over and she gave me a bit of a lecture uh, and it was probably then that I realised, uh, I'm now really quite cold. I've taken Panadol and now I'm quite cold. Maybe maybe I'm getting the flu <laughs> is what oh, I thought. Sarah. Oh, my gosh. I want to I I reach out to your neighbour and give them a hug. I know. Big shout out to Marie. Well done. Thanks, Maz. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> So, yeah, it was then that I thought, oh, I'm, I'm really not very well. Um, and we made a plan that night. Um, she, because my husband was still out at, at, at dirt carts at this point. It goes till quite late um, in the night because it's too hot to do it during the day. So um, we made a plan that she would take me into the hospital in the morning. Obviously, my husband can stay home and look after the kids. So that was the plan on the Saturday night. So um, eight o'clock in the morning. Um, I ended up calling the hospital first because I'm like, I don't feel like, I know, so silly, you can slap me. I don't feel like this is something you go to the hospital for. I don't go to the hospital. That's not what, that's not what it's for. Um, you know, it's for really, it's for really sick people, right? And I've just got a stomach ache, which I've had for 10 days. Which is not critical. It's not emergency, <laughs> surely. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think living in a remote community, um, Lana, you, you need to be um, respectful of, of the resources that are there. And, and, and for yeah. me, it was about not abusing the things that were there for really critical things, right? So I didn't um, go to the hospital for things that I didn't need to. And I used the GP whenever I could and, and kind of um, respected the, the things that were available being in a remote community, um, you know, as soon as everyone um, abuses these things, then, you know, it doesn't, it's not there for yeah. the people who need them. So that, that yeah, was kind of a, my mindset. It's a limited resource and you right. are trying to be mindful and be respectful for the and fact that- And it's a weekend. It does really communicate, Sarah, that you in your mind really had no idea about the severity of your condition, like none. So it sounds like, I mean, I might be wrong, but it sounds like you're almost treating it like, you know, menstrual cramps or something. Oh, she'll be right. You know, take Panadol, lie down. It'll be okay. Not knowing anyone who's had this before, um, not ever being really sick. Only other, other times I've been in hospital is for childbirth, obviously. So never having a serious event 
uh, and, and having to really listen to my body before, I simply just missed it all. Absolutely. It, it wasn't something that came to my mind at all. It was still something that I had done to myself. I had um, eaten too much. I'd, I'd eaten too much rich food in Brisbane and, and this was on me, which is embarrassing, right? You don't want to go to a hospital and say, I ate too much food. <laughs> Not ideal. So where were we at? So you were going to go to the hospital. You called them. What I did called the hospital, them. What did the hospital say when you said, oh, look, I've been experiencing stomach pains. It's actually been going on for almost a couple of weeks now. And like, what did they say? You could probably imagine. <laughs> they said, oh, just come in, love. Yeah, come in. I'm like, I know it's the weekend. Um, she's like, oh, the uncle's, uncle doctor is here. So just come in, love, and we'll check you out. And I'm like, Okay made me feel a little bit better, like I wasn't wasting um, everyone's precious time. So yeah, I called them and they said yes. So I, I walked over to my friend across the street um, and she was getting ready with her kids and, and was, was taking me in. Um, but I did walk over very hunched over. So by this stage, I couldn't, I couldn't walk properly. I was bending um, and holding my stomach as I walked. So um, I, it was becoming very clear to me that it had escalated beyond kind of something that I could look after myself. Right. Now, had your husband come to notice that you were a bit off colour? Yeah, so when he came home, well, we talked about it on the Saturday, obviously, um, morning when he was getting ready to go out. I was like, I'll bring the kids out, but I won't be able to do the gate this week. I'm just going to take it easy. And and obviously on the Friday night when when my neighbour brought over dinner and he was in charge. So he kind of knew he kind of knew where I was at. But um, yeah, so I had told him when he came home from dirt carts on the Saturday night that um, Maz was going to take me into the hospital just to see what was going on in the morning. And he's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. But of course, you know, I wasn't making a fuss about it. So then he didn't outwardly know kind of how, yeah. how bad it was getting. So yeah, I, I feel a bit bad for kind of keeping that to myself. So Maz is over the street and you're, you know, walk over all hunched up and, and, and just trying to, unable to straighten up and stand straight. And so you get over there and she bundles you into the car and takes yes. you to the hospital. What, what happened when when you walked in there and, and they got a chance to actually examine you? Mm. Yeah, I was really lucky that the, I don't know the terminology, but it's the the lead doctor was on call that, that weekend. So Dr. Nick, who everyone knows in Weepa, Dr. Nick was there that day. Maz is, um, it w- was, she's not there anymore either, but she was the vet nurse. So known by everyone in the land of Weepa. Everyone has a dog um, and everyone knows vet nurse um, Maz. So of course we come in and, and that's the first thing that, that Dr. Nick says is is something about thanks for taking care of my dog um, last weekend. And, and we have a joke because I needed to look after Maz's daughter while she went and looked after Dr. Nick's dog. Um, so everyone knows everyone, right? So um, yeah. Off I, I kind of creep in with with uh, with Dr. Nick and I lay on the bed and, and he's got someone else. Um, I think he's, he's stitching up someone who's um, injured themselves, done a mischief on a, on a quad bike um, out in the bush. So he's busy doing that for the time being. So the nurse um, the nurse actually takes my temperature um, in the in the um, triage section first. She said, "Oh, you're running, you're running a fever." It's like, "Oh, okay, that's not good." unknown to me um, the, that I'd actually already had an infection and it was starting to, to turn sepsis, which is very, very bad. Um, so I, I had a fever. So she, she wrote that down. She asked me my pain rating. I said a four. I'm still walking, right? I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not dying. 
I'm not dying. Dying would be a nine. Right. Um, and childbirth is an eight, and so it's not childbirth or dying. So not, not either of those things. I'm at, I must be at a two, maybe a three. Right? Oh, okay, a four. <laughs> I'll go because you could imagine that was quite a stretch for me to say a four. So I was like, four? I can still walk. I'm not in a wheelchair. Yeah, exactly. I don't uh, – okay, okay. Uh, um, anyway, you get you get where I'm coming from. So um, she scribbles on my chart and, and she pops me in the bed and uh, we wait for Dr Nick to be um, finished stapling up um, the, the, the young lad. And he comes over um, and he, you know, has a chat and I tell him about the days. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, um, could be this, it could be that. Um, you know, let's get the ultrasound over here. I'm not really good at this though, so I don't expect to see anything. Um, if I can't, then we might call in the radiographer and, and we'll see what's going on. So I said, okay. So I lift up my shirt and he pokes around on my tummy a little bit. And, and this is where I learnt the term rebound pain. So he was kind of pushing quite um, quite forcefully, as you could imagine. You know, you've, I'm sure you've, you've all been to the doctor before, pushing around, just having a feel. Um, and it's then that he lifted up his hand and so, you know, as they do it, kind of the two two hands, he lifted them up to finish and he started saying, okay, well, I can't feel anything. And at that point, I, I screamed um, very, very loudly. Um, Maz could hear me in the waiting room um, when, I, wow. when I screamed and then um, burst into tears because that was the most painful thing that I think I've ever felt. Uh, and he said, okay, Sarah, um, this is called rebound pain and this indicates that your abdomen is filling with fluid uh, and that there's going to be um, a serious infection somewhere um, inside you. So it's probably your appendix, but let's do an ultrasound and find out. And, and obviously um, gave me some some nice medication to deal with the pain that I was in at that point. So it was right then and there that it was like, okay, this is actually very serious. Did you sit there sort of shaking your head and saying, but I thought I thought it was no big deal? Like were you shocked at hearing what it actually was going on? And I think that's why I screamed so loudly um, at the rebound pain that I felt as well, because it was so unexpected. I just didn't, um, I wasn't expecting that to happen. And then, of course, once that did and, and he said, you know, this is what's happening, that I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> yeah, th this is this is actually very bad. I didn't feel in danger or, or like, you know, it was life-threatening at that point, but I thought, I I've I've got this wrong. Yes. Yeah. I've stuffed up. Yeah. Oopsie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, really funnily though, when Dr. Nick first came over and the nurse was saying, oh, you know, this is the triage information, she used the word stoic. And I'm like, okay, that's a compliment, right? Like st stoic is a good thing. But she said it when she said, um, Sarah's pain rating is a number four, um, um, considered stoic. So that meant that that I was kind of underestimating the situation that I I was in. So now I use stoic as an offensive term. <laughs> Oops. So they did the ultrasound. What happened when they did the ultrasound? Yeah. Did that reveal more? Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Nick did the ultrasound and, and as he said, he said, I'm really bad at this. So if I can see something, then then that's not a good sign. So as soon as he did it, um, he could see my appendix. He said, oh, there's your, there's your appendix. Um, and it's supposed to be four centimetres long at the most, and it's 12 centimetres long. 
uh, and I can see all of the fluid that's already um, in your abdomen. So it, it was um, absolutely burst and it was um, as enlarged as it possibly could be. And interestingly, yeah. and I don't even remember which side, uh, you know, there's like that appendix pain theory where you get it on one side of your body and I can't remember which side it is, left or right. I don't know because mine was very central. It was really just below my belly button um, the whole time. Like I wouldn't have said it was one side or another, um, but he thinks that because it's as it's kind of um, as it's gotten larger and larger and, and sicker and sicker it's kind of moved itself into the middle um, in my abdomen so that's why I didn't feel that traditional kind of one-sided um, pain over the, wow. the 10 days beforehand. Wow now I mean I don't want to dwell on this but this is a really serious medical condition because that means essentially your appendix has burst your intestines are now leaking into the body cavity and into the bloodstream, which means that you have the chance of, as you mentioned earlier, contracting sepsis, which means blood poisoning across the whole body with, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so how did the doctor react and, and what happened next? Yeah, he, um, he had the, uh, he had the radiologist come in um, on call just to confirm. He, he wanted to make sure that, that that was honestly what he was seeing because as he said he wasn't the best at that um, and funnily enough my son um, was best friends with the radiologist's son um, and was actually had ridden his bike over to his house that morning and I said oh could could you could you maybe also ask Craig to, to send my son home he's over there playing um, he's like okay Sure. So yeah. So so Craig came in the radiologist and um and he did a number of scans. But um after he did the first one, um he said, "Yep, let Sarah needs to go now." So so Dr. Nick and the the Weaver Hospital started that um that process of of organising RFDS. Um from that point, Craig was really careful just to do lots and lots of scans so that once I got to Cairns, they had all of the information that they needed. Um, right. to just move forward straight away. So, yeah, that happened pretty quickly. Um, of course, um, Maz had been brought back in at this stage and, and told that what's going on and she hurried home to, to get the family sorted out um, and into action. So, yeah, from there it kind of it happened really quickly. Right. Now, Weeper has a hospital, but they don't have the capacity to deal with a burst appendix. So they were going to send you to Cairns. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So um, Weeper very much has um, has great staff and, and facilities available and, and a, a state-of-the-art hospital. But um, as you can imagine, in a remote community hub like that, they can't do everything. Um, yeah. So there, there isn't childbirth, there isn't surgery, there isn't um, any of those resources available. So rely quite heavily on um, on on the flying doctor to to um, to transport um, critically ill or, in my case, not so critically ill, but apparently critically ill patients um, back to Cairns for the treatment that they need at the Cairns Base Hospital. Yeah. Had you ever flown with the Royal Flying Doctor Service before? No, never. And in fact, didn't really know anyone who had. Of course, you, you hear stories and you, you hear car accidents and, and the like um, where that needs to happen. Um, but I didn't know anyone personally that had had that happen and, and I hadn't needed to do that um, either. So no, it was, uh, it was a brand new experience. Do you remember that flight well? I do. So uh, from from when from when the RFDS were called when I was in the hospital, it was probably only an hour until um, I was in the ambulance heading out to the um, airport. I was really lucky that the plane there was a plane already in the Cape. It had been up higher, and another patient 
I was on board. I don't remember too much about about that, but I was very lucky that it was nearby and that um, that I could jump into the second seat and or second bed um, and and be on the plane really quickly. So no, I don't. Internally, I thought I felt comforted um, by the fact that I would be looked after on the way down. I wasn't I wasn't nervous or scared, and and because I was still very um, awake and and conscious around what was happening, it was okay. I didn't need too much. Um, for the journey, right? I just needed to to get to Cairns. So that's kind of what I had in my mind is this is okay. This is, this will be fine. I'm okay. I'm being looked after and I just need to get to Cairns. So how long was that flight from Weeper to Cairns? Um, I think it was about an hour um, in the air. And I remember taking a photo out of the window um, just saying, oh, here I, here I am. So when I was ready, I could send that um, back to my husband and, and Maz. Um, but pretty um, uneventful, which is exactly how you want your flight to be, right? Um, uh, the nurse that was the ZOM with me was um, continuously checking on me uh, and making sure I was okay. But I really just didn't need anything. I just needed to get to Cairns. So that's kind of where I was. And, and, and the other person on board kind of needed a little bit more support than I did. So again, even even though I was really unwell, I was more worried about um, another person than I was myself. But I really appreciated the fact that it was uneventful. I didn't I didn't need that. Um, and to feel like you're already on an air ambulance, so to speak, and and you know this is a really serious situation that I was I was looked after. And so your husband was left with the kids. Yeah, he was. So he packed me a bag, brought it back down to the hospital uh, for me and, and said, go- said my goodbyes to them with me getting on the plane. They were pretty excited. So, you know, it was like, oh, this is this is not the norm. This doesn't usually happen in our house. Um, so, yeah, he, he went home and, and booked some flights down the next day so that um, so that he could be nearby um, when I was um, released from hospital, um, assuming that I wouldn't be able to fly home straight away. So they all came down to Cairns as soon as they could to, to meet me there that, that next day too. So he had to go home and book flights and get the kids sorted and so on. So. so, okay, so they fly you to Cairns and I presume they whip you straight into surgery. Uh, do you remember any of the conversations there? Or, or was it all a bit of a blur? Yeah, it's a bit of a blur, but um, yeah, so I got in. I think I left Weeper at maybe 11.30 in the morning. I think I ended up going to surgery about 10 p.m. at night. So that, that Sunday night um, I was taken into surgery, but it was continuous activity throughout that process. So into triage, um, into ED, and then um, a CT scan, uh, and then kind of prep and then straight into, felt like straight into surgery. So it all happened very much, um, you know, quite quickly in, in my mind, at least over that period of time. And, and I think I ended up getting back to the ward, I don't know, 3, 3 a.m. in the morning. Wow. So what do they do in that circumstance? Do they just, um, do they just like staple or, or sew up the bowel where it's ruptured and remove anything? Or what do they what do they do to clean up after a burst appendix? That's probably a horrible question, but I'm just yeah, thinking it, is. it through yeah. now. No, yep. it's, it's, like, it's pretty you, yucky. I presume, I presume you can't take a vacuum cleaner in there and just like, what do you do? Like, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so um, I, I didn't know any of this either, but um, I was able, fortunately, they were able to do the microscopic surgery. So go in through three keyholes rather than the massive slice open. Um, so I'm very lucky that they could do that because um, 
if it is really, really bad, they do just, you know, need to cut open and, and do what they need to do. But essentially it was um, keyhole surgery. Uh, so um, they removed the appendix. Um, the doctor used the words, we had to nip off the end of your, your bowel um, because it was infected. Okay, thank you. Um, and then they, they do actually, um, they fill your stomach with gas and then that's how they get all of the fluid, the, the liquid that's inside your abdomen out as well. So the aftermath is this massive kind of pregnant belly full of gas that they've put in there and it just needs to dissipate um, through your organs to get out afterwards. So uh, yeah, I was really lucky that they could do keyhole. Um, so that was that was good. But the aftermath was, was pretty damn uncomfortable, I must tell you. Oh, wow. So what's what is the recovery like after something like that yeah so it's supposed to be so if someone um uh, catches their appendix um rupture early or before it ruptures you should be out the next day um and and have some oral antibiotics and and kind of be uncomfortable but but on your way not for me though so i needed to stay in hospital for four days and have intravenous antibiotics i think three different types um to to stop the infection um from setting in uh, so um, I was lucky to have, um, you know, great, uh, great support and painkillers and, and treatment throughout that time. Um, so, yeah, my husband and the kids ended up being in cans a little longer than they intended to because I, uh, I did need to stay in and have that extra treatment. Oops. Sarah, there must be a lesson learned in this. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you come out of this and say, okay, note to self, I'm going to listen to my body a little bit more or what, what did you decide as a result of this? Because I think stoic is a wonderful word, but there comes a point where you almost endangered your own life being stoic, didn't you? Yeah, uh, I don't. It's a hard one, isn't it? Because obviously, I'm I'm not going to have my appendix burst again, um, so I'm not going to go through the same experience, the exact same experience again. But yeah, I do. Um, I I often reflect on on if I'm feeling unwell or or what is that. You know, I don't want to go to doom and gloom land of you know oh, I'm dying or it's a tumor or or you know something like that. But I do try to take a minute to to think. Okay. What are the other things that it could be rather than just what, what I first think that it is? Yeah. Well, that's a bit of an experience, Sarah. So you ended up then returning home to Weeper with the family. Was there a longer recovery period or were you pretty much okay once once the antibiotics had done their work and, and the surgery had been recovered from? Yeah, I was really fortunate that I was um, on the road to recovery kind of um, from everything that they'd done in hospital, uh, I was I was pretty much ready to go. I did need to, um, I think two weeks, uh, I was not allowed to drive because of the impact to my um, my stomach muscles and, and so on. Um, so needed to, to take it easy for, for two weeks. So I did take that time and rest and um, a, a little bit of work from home, but really not too much uh, so that mm. I could make sure that I was better. Because I had, I had learnt my lesson by this point, right? So I didn't want to overdo it. Uh, and then find myself um, unwell in a different way. So um, I, I took the advice and I rested um, for the period of my of my medical professional's um, advice. So, yeah, it's about um, road, road of recovery from there. So only up and up. Fortunately, no, no complications, thank goodness. Right. And then about six months later or so, you moved back to Brisbane. Has it been a culture shock to come back to the big smoke and with the family and so on from such a beautiful little remote community? Has it been a change? 
Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we have family in Brisbane, so we would often visit, but there's a real difference between kind of driving from the airport um, out into um, the area where my family live, which is a little bit more um, rural uh, compared to kind of having to, to come in and out of the city most days. So, um, Absolutely, traffic lights, driving in a, in a city, using GPS, not knowing where I'm going, um, having a four-wheel drive and feeling really scared to drive it because there are kind of so many other cars around. Um, just parking in a shopping centre, uh, you know, is a, is a daunting experience. And both of my kids were, were born, not born in Weeper, obviously, but born while we were in Weeper. So they'd never lived anywhere else um, either. So, um, you know, wearing wearing pants all the time and, and having to put shoes on were, were both really interesting experiences for my kids. But I think we've, I think we've managed to adapt. Well, at some point you should come down to the southern tablelands of New South Wales and experience the weather that we have down here. The kids oh, will definitely need shoes. <laughs> absolutely. Um, that first winter was pretty brutal, I must uh, tell you. I thought that I was ready to be away from the heat um, of, of the Weeper wet season, but um, once we got to the winter of Brisbane and, and the, the limited sunshine that comes kind of in those shorter days, uh, I was I was feeling very sorry for myself for a little while. Uh, until I, I found that I needed to just buy more winter clothes. That was the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you were reflecting back on, on this whole experience, is there any advice that you would give to somebody, a mum who's, you know, busy and um, managing work and managing family and is, is running into some sort of unexplained health issue? Would you have some advice for them about what they should do rather than not do? I feel a little bit like uh, I'm contradicting myself, of course, but um, I think just taking that time to stop um, and listen and um, equally kind of a, a problem shared, um, you know, is a problem solved really too. So I do feel like I should have kind of been a little bit more open around just, just saying out loud, I haven't been feeling well for a couple of days and, and this seems to be getting worse, either to my husband um, or my or my friend, um, Maz, as well. So, you know, just to talk it out um, probably would have made me stop and, and reflect a little earlier uh, than, it, than I did. Um, so never taking ourselves for granted, remote community or not, these things can happen, right? So um, mm. don't, don't take your own health for granted, I think is, is my biggest takeaway. Well, I'm really glad that you're there in Brisbane with your um, family and you're healthy and happy and have a big smile on your face. And <laughs> so, it's touch and go, that's for sure. And no, but I'm really, I'm really glad that we were able to help at that time, but also that it all turned out okay in the end, because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's about just making sure that life can continue and, and that we learn some lessons and, and move on. So yeah. I'm really happy that that happened. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I am um, keen to share my, my story, um, particularly the RFDS component of it, um, because I mean, it's probably not the best compliment to say that it was a, a standard status quo uh, trip on a plane, but that is exactly what you need um, and want at that time um, in, in, in a really critical experience. So I think um, it was a really important part in my story and, and I was really happy to be able to, to, to promote and I was lucky enough to meet um, the, the crew and, and have a look at the planes as well at a different date. So um, what I can do to uh, communicate the importance of that service um, is really important to me. That's great, Sarah. Well, I wish you all the best and your family. 
and um, and stay warm. Winter's on its way. It is. <laughs> Thank you, Lana. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. Word of mouth is always the best promotion for a podcast. So if you enjoy this podcast or a specific story, please share with family and friends. If you haven't already, join our Facebook group called the Flying Doctor Podcast Community. And you can also send feedback, questions or comments to me directly at lana.mitchell at rfds.org.au. Donations to support the Royal Flying Doctor Service can always be made through our website at flyingdoctor.org.au. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell, and senior producer is Mandy Coolen. Mm-hmm.